Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast, the best podcast ever. We're talking about chapter 103, weird chapter, many unnecessary details. I thought, Swim said the mum fishy thought differently. Swim said, I thought it was a great chapter. It was the details that made it interesting. Chapter was a good example of a literary vignette. In literature, a vignette is a short scene that captures a single moment or a defining detail about a character, idea, or other element of the story. Vignettes are mostly descriptive. In fact, they often include little or no plot detail. It was a fun interlude to read. The author captured everything quite vividly, and I could see it very clearly in my mind's eye. I found it a great piece of writing. Cutili said, I found this chapter rather dull to read. The best thing about it is how accurately the author portrayed the bleakness of poverty. For some reason, Philip's lodgings reminded me of some hostels I stayed in while traveling through Poland and Ukraine and made me nostalgic for those times. Jan Brunt said Mildred really ended up ruining Philip's life, didn't she? He was on track to be a physician, something he was good at and enjoyed. Now he's penniless, working retail, painfully dragging his foot, his club foot around the Edwardian Mall. Yep. Oh, we can blame Mildred. We can blame Philip too. But the point remains, Philip's life has been ruined. Really, has it? Poor old Phil. Poor old Phil. Oh, golly. Oh, I'm yawning. Okay. Let's Let's just keep reading. Let's just keep moving. Read the next chapter, 104. Short and sweet. Let's go. The social evenings took place on alternate Mondays. There was one at the beginning of Philip's second week at Lynn's. He arranged to go with one of the women in his department. Meet him halfway, she said, same as I do. This was Mrs. Hodges, a little woman of five and forty, with badly dyed hair. She had a yellow face with a network of small red veins all over it and yellow whites to to her pale, pale blue eyes. She took a fancy to Philip and called him by his Christian name before he had been in the shop a week. We've both known what it is to come down, she said. She told Philip that her real name was not Hodges, but she always referred to me husband, Mr. Hodges. He was a barrister and he treated her simply shocking, so she left him as she preferred the independent life. But she had known what it was to drive in her own carriage, dear. She called everyone dear. And they always had late dinner at home. She used to pick her teeth with the pin of an enormous silver brooch. It was in the form of a whip and a hunting crop crossed with two spurs in the middle. Excuse me. Philip was ill at ease in his new surroundings and the girls in the shop called him Sidey. One addressed him as Phil and as he did not answer because he had not the least idea that she was speaking to him... So she tossed her head, saying he was a stuck-up thing, and the next, with ironical emphasis, called him Mr. Carey. She was Mrs. Jewell, and she was going to marry a doctor. The other girls had never seen him, but they said he must be a gentleman, as he gave her such lovely presents. Never you mind what they say, dear, said Mrs. Hodges. I've had to go through it same as you have. They don't know any better, poor things. You take my word for it, they will like... You all right if you hold your own same as I have. 
The social evening was held in the restaurant in the basement. The tables were put on one side so that there might be room for dancing and smaller ones were set up for progressive whist. The Eds have to get there early, said Mrs Hodges. She introduced him to Miss Bennett, who was the Belle of Lynn's. She was the buyer in the petticoats and when Philip entered was engaged in conversation with the buyer in the gentleman's hosiery. Miss Bennett was a woman of massive proportions with a very large red face, heavily powdered and a bust of imposing dimensions. Her flaxen hair was arranged with elaboration. She was overdressed, but not badly dressed, in black with a high collar and she wore black gloves, glace, glace gloves, in which she played cards. She had several heavy gold trains around her neck, bangles on her wrist and a circular photograph pendants, one of the Queen Alexandra. She carried a black satin bag and chewed sensens. Pleased to meet you, Miss Carey, she said. This is your first visit to the social evenings, isn't it? I expect you feel a bit shy, but there's no cause to, I promise you that. She did her best to make people feel at home. She slapped them on the shoulders and laughed a great deal. Ain't I a pickle, she cried, turning to Philip. Must, what must you think of me? But I can't help myself. Those who were going to take part in the social evening came in, the youngest member of the staff mostly, boys who had not girls of their own, and girls who had not yet found anyone to walk with. Several of the young gentlemen wore lounge suits and white evening ties and red silk handkerchiefs. They were going to perform, and they had a busy, abstract air. Some were self-confident, but others were nervous, and they watched their public with an anxious eye. Presently, a girl with a great deal of hair sat at the piano and ran her hands noisily across the keyboard. When the audience had settled itself, she looked round and gave the name of her piece, A Drive in Russia. There was a round of clapping during which she deftly fixed bells to her wrists. She smiled a little and immediately burst into energetic melody. There was a great deal more clapping when she finished, and when this was over, as an encore, she gave a piece which imitated the sea. There were little trills to represent the lapping waves and thundering chords, with the loud pedal down to suggest a storm. After this, a gentleman sang a song called Bid Me Goodbye, and as an encore obliged with Sing Me to Sleep, the audience measured their enthusiasm with a nice discrimination. Everyone was applauded till he gave an encore, and so that there might be no jealousy, no one was applauded more than anyone else. Miss Bennett sang one up to Philip. I'm sure you play or sing, Mr. Carey, she said, archly. I can see it in your face. I'm afraid I don't. Don't you even recite? I have no parlor tricks. The buyer in the gentleman's hosiery was a well-known reciter, and he was called upon loudly to perform by all the assistants in his department. Needing no present, he, he gave a long poem of tragic character in which he rolled his eyes, but his hand put his hand on his chest and acted as though he were in great agony. The point that he had eaten cucumber for supper was divulged in the last line and was greeted with laughter. I, a, a little forced because everyone knew the poem well, but loud and long. Miss Bennet did not sing, play or recite. Oh no, she has a little game of her own, said Mrs Hodges. Now don't you begin chafing me. The fact I know quite a lot about palmistry and second sight. No, don't tell me, and... Oh, do tell me, and, said Miss Bennet. Oh, sorry. Oh, do tell me, and, Miss Bennet, cried the girls in her department, eager to please her. I don't like telling Anne's, I don't really. I've told people such terrible things, and they've all come true, and it makes one superstitious-like. Oh, Miss Bennet, just for once. A little crowd collected round her, and amid 
screams of embarrassment, giggles, blushings and cries of dismay or admiration. She talked mysteriously of fear and dark men, of money in a letter and of journeys till the sweet stood, sweat stood in heavy beads on her painted face. Look at me, she said. I'm all out of perspiration. Supper was at nine. There were cakes, buns, sandwiches, tea and coffee, all free. But if you wanted mineral water, you had to pay for it. Gallantry often led men to offer the ladies ginger beer, but common decency made them refuse. Miss Bennett was very fond of ginger beer, and she drank two and sometimes three bottles during the evening, but she insisted on paying for them herself. The men liked her for that. She's a rum old bird, they said, but mind you, she's not a bad sort. She's not like what some are. After supper, progressive whist was played. This was very noisy, and there was a great deal of laughing and shouting as people moved from table to table. Miss Bennett grew hotter and hotter. Look at me, she said. I'm all of I'm all of a perspiration. In due course, one of the more dashing of the young men remarked that if they wanted to dance, they'd better begin. The girl who had played the accompaniment sat at the piano and placed a decided foot on the loud pedal. She played a dreamy waltz, marking the time with the bass, while with the right hand she titled in alternate octaves. By way of a change, she crossed her hands and played the air in the bass. She does play well, doesn't she? Mrs. Hodges remarked to Philip. Now, what's more, she's never had a lesson in her life. It's all ear. Miss Bennett liked dancing and poetry better than anything in the world. She danced well, but very, very slowly, and an expression came into her eyes as though her thoughts were far, far away. She talked breathlessly of the floor and the heat and the supper. She said that the Portman's rooms had the best floor in London, and she always liked the dancers there. They were very select, and she couldn't bear dancing with all sorts of men you didn't know anything about why you might be exposing yourself to you didn't know what all nearly all the people danced very well and they enjoyed themselves sweat poured down their faces and the very high collars of the young men grew limp philip looked on and a greater depression seized him when that than he remembered to have felt for a long time he felt intolerably alone he did not go because he was afraid to seem supercilious, and he talked with the girls and laughed, but in his heart it was unhappiness. Miss Bennett asked him if he had a girl. No, he smiled. Oh, well, there's plenty to choose from here, and they're very nice, respectable girls, some of them. I expect you'll have a girl before you've been here long. She looked at him very archly. Meet him halfway, she said at Mrs. Hodges. That's what I tell him. It was nearly eleven o'clock, and the party broke up. Philip could not get to sleep. Like the others, he kept his aching feet outside the bedclothes. He tried with all his mind not to think of the life he was leading. The soldier was snoring quietly. All right, and there we go. Another chapter for you. Philip's not having a good time. He's not liking where he's wound up in life. Um, Go ahead and have your say about the chapter at the subreddit. Thank you very much for listening, and I will see you tomorrow.